Hello everyone, it's 2300 hours and it's time for another episode of Crash, the UK Geek Show. This is episode 272, recorded on Friday the 28th of June 2019. Ah, yeah, back for another episode. And today it's more nerd life type episode more than anything else, although there are a few snippets of pop culture. It's also to tell you I'm still here, although it hasn't been that long since the last podcast, so that shouldn't be a surprise to anyone, and I have been tweeting. Let's get on with talking about some non-specific but still geeky things in my life. And we'll start off with something that isn't really geeky at all, but common to every middle-aged chap. Every now and then, when it's about haircut time, this is already starting to sound like an endorsement, isn't it? But no, it is actually just an item in this podcast. Okay. Yeah, when it is haircut time, I debate whether to just whip it all off because I'm thinning. In fact, I have been thinning for (laughs) a very, very long time, probably the last 20 years. And I don't appear to be perceptibly thinner than I was 10 years ago. But I'm a man and, you know, men. So, this time round, forgetting all the other times I've tried this over the last 20 years, I thought to myself, Hmm, Roy, you know what? If you whip it all off, it will be easier to manage. It will cut down drastically on the dandruff. It will probably stop the dandruff altogether. And it will eliminate the cold spot. And it will make you look younger. And now that I've read that out, the cold spot. I mean the cold spot on my head. Stop laughing. Now the last of those things, it will make you look younger. That was the one that decided it for me. And the result? I look exactly the same age, only with less hair. It does make it easier to manage, that's true. But what about the other things? Having a bald pate does not mean you don't get dandruff. I have found that out again. And now my whole head is the cold spot. And again, stop laughing, please. And in addition to those things that have not worked, I have the additional benefit of the possibility of sunburn. Actually, not the possibility of sunburn, but sunburn. I've already got it. Blame all the gardening I've been doing this week, which we'll get on to later. And... A shaved head 
as well as not making you look any younger, does not mean that you'll look suave and sophisticated like all the other baldy celebs, like Tally Savalis, Yul Brynner, Patrick Stewart, or Amrish Puri. And by the way, happy birthday again, Amrish Puri, who was born on the 22nd of June 1932 and died on the 12th of January 2005. He played Molo Ram in the Temple of Doom. Yeah. Shaving your head will not make you look like a Hollywood superstar, or a Bollywood superstar for that matter. My awful advice, and if you've listened to this podcast long enough, you'll know that a lot of my advice is terrible, but this is my advice. (laughs) I'm sorry I'm laughing at what I'm about to say. If it's really, really going, and all you have is a ridiculous fringe surrounding the North Pole, then maybe shave it off. Or buy a wig. In fact, you know what? Buy a wig. But buy a really bad wig, and then freak people out. I had an uncle who, for years, wore this really ill-fitting wig that would change position. Eventually, he cottoned on to the fact that it was terrible and shaved his bonds, but, yeah. But there is something rather heroic about a bad wig. (laughs) I want to try a bad wig. (sighs) Otherwise, do the sensible thing and just visit your barber. Which... For me, is unfortunately yet another problem. Of course it is, because everything's a problem for me. The last time I went to the barber, it involved me getting flustered by a highly attractive woman hairdresser, and later bumping into a celebrity immediately after I left the hairdressers, who I knew... But I fumbled his English name, and he just had to correct me. So I've just come out of a stressful situation, fumbled this chap's name, who is richer and more famous than I am, and he corrects me. All I have to say to that, in retrospect, now I'm not going to name and shame the chap, but try living with an Indian name in the UK. Where was I? Oh yeah, after that rant, where was I? Mm, Yeah, here. I read an article in The Stun, and yes, I'm parodying the name of a UK newspaper, and I will do that again with another most august (coughs) UK publication later in this episode. Yes, The Stun reports that new stem cell research offers hope for the bald. I'm not holding my breath. Let's talk about the next thing, which is entitled Chicken Like a Head. This title isn't one of those clever ironic titles. I hate irony, I hate it. It's very often not ironic anyway. Back to chicken like a head. 
I recently actually saw a roast chicken in Marks and Spencers that had somehow, by combining the configuration of the spaces between the legs, the wings, the body, and the gaping gut hole, and had been over-roasted, it had somehow transformed its shape and become more rotund, and the gaps and the big hole in the middle had turned into something that looked the size and shape of a roast human head. Let me tell you, I ate vegetarian that night. And while we're still in the pre-show section of me just babbling on about things, gardening. I've been spending every spare moment gardening. It is partly the reason my newly shorn head is a bit sunburnt. Because the garden is again out of control. I only recently managed to semi-tame the towering hedge of destruction. I tell you, if Trump wants to build a wall, he should just transplant my hedge to the US. That'll keep the Canadians out. Then there's the grass, the weeds, the landscape. No, it's not the Canadians, but I live there, so I'm allowed to talk about it like that. Uh, anyway, they're a fairer target. Yeah, where was I? Oh yeah, grass, weeds, there's still landscaping to do, which I've been talking about for about two, three years. There's the general fight against nature, which is hopeless. And I am completely physically exhausted. The good thing is, I'm a little thinner, which is good because I'm a lardy gentleman and really need to lose some girth. Hopefully, the garden will do that, or it will kill me. The appointment. Our next item in the pre-show. Ramble. This is part of the ongoing saga of the medical thingy that has led to a month-delayed phone call for an appointment that was further delayed. Anyway, I had the appointment. It didn't go too badly. I won't go into specifics, not that I really have, because I haven't mentioned any specifics at all. But it is a scheme that is supposed to make my life better. I will let you know. The next item, Dad's ship. Or the boat dad came in on. <laughs> oh. With the Windrush controversy still in full swing, despite the government's awkward and painful attempts at a clumsy semi-apology with that memorial thing, what a fiasco. I thought I would mention another ship that brought immigrants from the Commonwealth to fill jobs that most of the white British population thought beneath them. In 1960, with £5 in his pocket, a childhood friend named Jack 
acting as his immigration guarantor, my father paid 1,013 Mauritian rupees, which converted is 24 British pounds and 44 pence, or 24 euros 98, or 28 US dollars 44, for a fourth class passage to England aboard a French ship called the Jean Laborde. By the way, before I go on, fourth class? I did ask my father, and he did tell me. I think it means shared sleeping accommodation. I don't think it means, or at least I hope it doesn't mean, that you just spend the entire trip out on the open deck, which actually I have done in Greece. Had to spend the entire time outside, which wasn't great. Back to the journey. Yeah, so my dad was on this ship, the Jean Laborde. It finally arrived at Marseille, where he took the night train to Paris, Gare du Nord train station, then Gare Saint-Lazare, then on to Calais, where he boarded a ferry to England. From Dover, he took a train to London, Victoria. You can see the ship that regularly plied the Marseille-Madagascar-Mauritius route in my tweet. And the link is in the show notes, and it's easy to get at now, because HTML. Oh, and by the way, if you think it's a myth, both my mother and father say that lodging signs really did say, no dogs, no Irish, no blacks. There you have it. And that's the end of my pre-show ramble, which is probably longer than the show. Let's do some culture. Pennyworth. I have watched the new trailer for Pennyworth, which is the Batman prequel slash spin-off about the pre-Batman life of one of our favourite butlers, Alfred Pennyworth. I say one of our favourite butlers, I'm speaking for all geek kind, I'm not speaking about me personally, because although Alfred isn't bad, I think Parker from Thunderbirds is a better butler and a more deadly bodyguard. Shall I shoot them with the machine guns, me lady? I don't think he actually said that. He said something very similar, though, and he has done time in prison. Oh, and to stay in the theme of this section, maybe I shouldn't say prison. Maybe I should say, yeah, Parker's done bird. It looks like Pennyworth is going to be a London, the craze-like crime drama. It looks good, but I'm not sure expanding on Alfred Pennyworth's life is something that interests me. Expect a lot of core blimey gov and shooters. Okay, next, legends. The word legend in this context is undercover parlance for a fabricated identity. In legends, the TV show, Sean Bean is Martin Odom, 
an FBI undercover operative famous for sinking deep into his cover identities, so deep that he sometimes forgets who he is. In the pilot, he is infiltrating a white nationalist terrorist organisation. There's also a subplot about a conspiracy centred on whether or not his real-life identity is not itself a cover. Now, that all sounds promising, but it comes off just as awful as NCIS, with the usual boring Scooby team supporting the main man. It also shares the ignominy of burying the Asian guy. First, it was bury the black guy, then it was fridge the woman, then it was kill the gay character, and now it's murder the brown guy. Thank you very much. See All the Boys Love Mandy Lane in Crash Episode 4 and Escape Room in Crash 262 for further examples of this annoying trope. And look at the gears that that encompasses. We're still doing it. You know what? When filmmakers stop doing this, I'll stop talking about it. Back to Legends. It's not good. It was cancelled after two seasons running in 2011 and 2015. This is a subpar realisation of the eponymous spy thriller. The novel it is based on is currently available for £1 in UK Poundland. That is, in fact, how I heard about the show. I had a look in Poundland a couple of days ago, and it's still there. It probably is there now. Buy the novel instead. Next, The Three Musketeers. I'm not going to talk in any great length about the 1973 film starring Oliver Reed and Michael York. It is one of my favourite films. I often mentioned it. It just popped into my subconscious while browsing the other day and I found a clip of one of my favourite scenes and we are staying in the spirit of poultry related topics here when the companions steal a roast chicken right from the table of a customer and hide it under Athos's doublet. Look it up. Look for chicken scene The Three Musketeers. Just Google that phrase and you'll find it. It is exceedingly funny and huzzah. It'll cheer you up. All for one and one for all. Next, Temple of Doom. Right, now, from listening to the Slash Filmcast Daily, the show that's hosted by Peter Serretta, I found out that Temple of Doom is set before Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mine blown. How many times have I watched that? More like Temple of When. Yeah, that didn't take me too long to come up with that line, so don't punish me. Don't think I was sitting here for hours and hours thinking, oh, how can I make that sound more witty? Temple of When. No. Took me a second, honestly. Where was I? Yeah. How did I miss that? I'm wondering if I did miss that or not. 
I think it's fairly well shown that this is sometime either in the late 20s or early 30s, and we know that Raiders of the Lost Ark is in the late 30s, but I think the film just cranks along at such a pace that it doesn't really matter, and then because it doesn't really matter, it doesn't really occur to you that it happened before the first film. But yeah, wow. You learn something new about geek stuff every day. <laughs> Pet Cemetery. I saw this second adaptation from 2019 of the Stephen King novel quite some time ago. I'm not sure why I didn't talk about it on the podcast, and I can't believe that I haven't done so already. So at the risk of repeating myself, I'll say I liked the look... I liked the effects. I liked everything, really, even the acting, until after the tragic thing happens. After that thing, the film just lumped along through the quagmire. It's not great. I think probably you're better off watching that... TV movie that came out years and years ago. I'm not sure if it was an 80s or 90s thing. That's probably better. Or just read the book. It's not that long. I thought it was great that we got the Ramones song of the same name in the end credits, which, legend has it, was conceived during the band's visit to the home of Stephen King. I say home, I'm guessing... Grim Fortress. Next, in culture, Nitin Sawney. Usually I'm jealous when I hear of someone doing much better than me, but not in this case. There was this article about a bloke with a really familiar face accepting an Ivo Novello Lifetime Achievement Award. I suppose it struck a dull bell in my head because I had mentioned in Crash 268 that the Verve's Richard Ashcroft had also received an Ivo Novella Lifetime Achievement Award. But back to the chap with the familiar face. That chap turned out to be Nitin Sawney, who I had last seen years ago playing a comedy bit part in some TV movie. Apparently, he had not spent all the intervening post-goodness-gracious-me years. Do you remember that British-Asian sketch comedy show? Yes, he had actually been doing stuff. He had not been on the Z list. He had, in fact, made ten albums and become a roaringly successful musical virtuoso. Check out his off-the-cuff attempt at Van Halen's Eruption, or just stick his name into YouTube, search, and see him play the flamenco guitar with flying fingers that appear possessed by Mephistopheles himself. His ease with the guitar reminds me of people like Dominic Valera, his ease karateing the hell out of an unfortunate opponent or judges, 
Yeah, you're probably not that familiar about that reference. It's an old guy reference. You'll have to Google that yourself. Or look at the flow of words in an early Stephen King novel, like Carrie. It's that effortless grace that some people have doing the thing that they do. Anyway, seeing a brown person doing well accounts for my tweet to my mum of this chap accepting the award. Next, Ray Garton. I have mentioned him several times. I recently almost finished rereading Live Girls. It is a schlocky vampire horror from the 80s that was making the geek rounds back then. Ray Garton has a reputation for writing and not pulling back. And let's just leave it at that. So we can retain our clean podcast rating. But I think it may be unjustified as I've read plenty of James Herbert passages that you would really not want to read to Granny. Although saying that, One does wonder what Granny reads. If you have a Granny, ask her. Who knows? Maybe she's into Ray Garton and James Herbert. I'll leave it there because I haven't quite finished and I'll talk about the book soon. Something else that I've been reading and given up on. I gave up on trying to untangle Grant Morrison's final crisis trade about 30 pages in. It's a seven-issue series about a Darkseed plot. Darkseed, a supervillain in the DC Universe, blah, 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 new gods, blah, 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 apocalypse, blah, blah, blah. It felt indulgent, make-weird by going wordy Grant Morrison rather than good Grant Morrison-like, for example, All-Star Superman. Although, honestly... Part of the reason I read All-Star Superman was because the Frank Quitely art was so great. Ah, yeah. Didn't enjoy Final Crisis. Didn't even get near finishing it. Let's move from culture to technology. I say technology. This is more mild material science here, anyway. And I don't really get too far into the science, but I'm going to talk about sweets. Do you remember those sweets I've been hoarding? (sighs) Since my last birthday, I think. I recently tucked into a hard, crunchy sherbet lemon. Actually, those sherbet lemons I bought myself, they weren't from my last birthday, so they are possibly older. And yeah, as I bit into that sherbet lemon, I found that it turned into chewy yellow toffee. (sighs) Yeah, not good. And then there's also my formerly soft and squidgy Percy pigs that had become as hard as baked clay. 
and it just made me wonder what kind of weird chemical reversal had happened to turn something that's supposed to be soft into something that's supposed to be really hard, and something that's really hard into something that's really soft. That's as far as I've dug into this. But it is a little odd. And then I went on a little tangent about sherbet. I also found out that there had been a apparent national outrage, almost certainly manufactured by the Daily Heil, regarding one of my favourite sweets. When Barrett changed the packaging of their sherbet fountain, which is a tube of lemon sherbet with a stick of licorice rammed in, from cardboard to plastic. I also read that the traditional licorice straw had changed to a solid stick, which explains my almost aneurysm-inducing futile attempt to extract sherbet via this obsolete method a few years ago. I sucked and I sucked and nothing happened. I also read that Marks and Spencer's also changed Percy Pig to a vegan recipe, further incurring the wrath of the Heil. I'm not concerned with the latter, because I always hankered after Percy Pigs, and I can now enjoy them guilt-free. But while I don't miss the soggy cardboard mess of the old sherbet fountain packaging, I really do miss the licorice straw. Bring back the licorice straw, Barrett. And also, it's possibly time for another trip to the sweet shop to replenish my supplies. Replenish the tuck drawer. While we're still on the subject of sweet stuff, I have a complaint about Patterson's shortbread. This is another stunning product dumped in Poundland. The low-fat, low-sugar change of recipe has turned Patterson's shortbread biscuits into inedible breeze blocks. Patterson's made the change for health reasons, at least that's what I've read, but that is like making healthy chocolate. It doesn't make sense. Why bother? Why am I getting so annoyed about this? I'm not actually that annoyed. Maybe I am now manufacturing this outrage, but it was annoying. I bought my biscuits expecting a nice biscuit to dunk into my tea and found these concrete blocks that you could lob as weapons. Patterson's revolting shortbread. Let's move on to the next item. And the next item is to disregard my previous glasses cleaning tips. I don't know how long ago I mentioned these, but it's quite some time ago. And I said something about a 5% solution of vodka in distilled water. And yes, a 5% solution of vodka in distilled water is non-toxic. But it's terrible as a cleaning solution for plastics. That is because ethanol is corrosive, which explains the weird streaks 
on the frames of my previous glasses of nerd made of cellulose acetate. Actually, I'm wearing the same model now, but in the intervening years from 2013, I think, when I first started wearing these wonderfully distinctive spectacles, I have had another two changes in my prescription. But yeah, I think it was during the last prescription that I tried the solution and it damaged my frame, so don't do that. This is why commercial cleaning solutions often use the toxic but material-safe isopropyl alcohol. My revised advice is to use nothing but your breath and a high-quality camera lens cloth, for example, one from Pantax, to clean your glasses. If they're very dirty, use the same tip that I recently mentioned and just add a tiny drop of dishwashing liquid to water and then dampen the cloth and give your glasses a wipe down with that. If you are a photographer, you have probably got a lens cleaning kit that includes a blower brush and you have everything you need to keep your glasses nice and clean. Most photographers know this already. At least I hope they do. Or maybe I'm the only one. I doubt it. I, uh, why am I talking to myself? Oh yeah, solo podcast. Forgot myself. And that is it for the technology-ish section this week. Let's move on to creative. There is only one thing I wanted to talk about, and that's more of a hobby thing in the creative section rather than writing. And that is, I bought a cheap baritone ukulele. Because one of the things that makes life better is music, and my latest instrument purchase arrived. This baritone ukulele is solid mahogany, in quotes, I'm not sure. It is some open grain wood, whether it is the mahogany or a mahogany is another matter. And yes, it is a baritone electro-acoustic ukulele made by the Caramel brand. I thought being a soprano ukulele player, going to baritone would make a big difference, because it's bigger, it doesn't. It also has a truss rod, which is rare, and costs about £50. £50. It is one of the cheapest ukuleles I have. And just a little quick review of it. It's okay, apart from a few things, like a cracked tuner button. In fact, the tuners are in pretty bad shape because they have been mangled by the fitter, so I will change them, which means another £6 buying some new tuners. I also stuck my phone into the body of the instrument to examine the interior workmanship, and it is a little slapdash. It sounds absolutely fine though, and it is easy to play. I think the fretboard, the fret finishing, and the action, which is the height of the strings above the fretboard, is superb. Judging by the parts of the ukulele that require some human attention, in the largely, one assumes, automated process, that is where the problem lies. I saw blobby glue, sloppy workmanship, roughly tied strings, 
the list goes on for quite a while, so I won't bore you for much longer. Although I'm not a luthier and can barely play my instruments that well, even I could have done a better job than the factory workers, which suggests they are using either a totally unskilled labour force or ridiculous time constraints or both. The declared customs value for the instrument is 10 US dollars, which gives you some idea of Caramel's profit margins. I am puzzled as to why they bothered making this a solid-bodied instrument. Because they included a truss rod and it's not an expensive instrument. So what I was thinking, if they'd made it laminate, it would have been with the truss rod, an instrument more resistant to environmental changes. And not to go into this too much, but laminate instruments are a little hardier, although they don't sound as good as solid-bodied instruments, so it's a bit of a puzzler. It's like they made one thing really great and then they faffed it up. But it's okay, and it gives me an idea of what a bigger instrument is like, and I'm enjoying playing it. And that's the Caramel brand baritone electro ukulele. If there are any ukulele players out there and you're wondering about that particular model, now you have a review. And that is it for the creative section. Yes, I'll get back to writing sometime soon, but not quite yet. We're now in the after show section. And it is time for me to have a sip of my drink, which is 7-Up Free. Mm. Oh, as podcasting is thirsty work. And no, I'm not being sponsored by 7-Up, although you would have thought. Oh. Okay, this is the plan for the next few podcasts. And I hope you're going to be pleased. You are about due for more Doctor Who. And you are going to get a Doctor Who overload. A Doctor Who specific podcast is coming very soon. Very, very soon. And another one soon after that. And then another one. In fact, prepare for just too much Old Who talk. I'll be covering the last three serials of 1972 in the next few days. I'm going to be binging on those the moment I get off the mic. And that is the news for now. I better go because I've got Doctor Who to watch and some sitting back and chilling to do. And I've got editing to do tomorrow, and then you'll be able to listen to this podcast sometime tomorrow. Expect to hear from me very, very soon. And that's it. This show, Crash, is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at RoyMartha.com. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help... Please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. 
you were listening to Crash episode 272, the UK Geek podcast, recorded on Friday the 28th of June 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 23.50.11. Thanks for listening, and bye-bye for now. Bye.